morning. I uh, am delighted to be with you again. This thing is driving me crazy. Um, it's not fitting right, so it may be sticking out at some point, and I won't even know it. So that's just part of your entertainment today, okay? Um, when we first started using this kind of mic in my former church, you know, we'd always had the lapel mic. One of the elders, I mean, they knew how much it bothered me, and I was always kind of, you know, favoring it in this or that way. Just a minute. Sorry. Um, so he sent me a note one time, uh, an email, and it said, Darwin thinks he looks like this. And there were pictures of helicopter pilots and, you know, F-16 pilots. He said, but he really looks like this. And then I, he had pictures of Justin Bieber and uh, Britney Spears. So <laughs> that's what I really look like. So I've just always remembered that. <clears throat> we are coming to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. The last time I was here, we dealt with a later portion of Romans 8. And I wanted to back up and start with this section on sonship, on adoption. And I'm actually going to break up this sermon that you have listed in your sheet into two parts because I'm scheduled to come back in a month. And so you'll have to remember everything from the first week. I know you won't, but, um, but I am going to break it up just to cover some things in, in some more detail. Uh, so we'll definitely be dealing with the new life of the adopted, but just this morning, the new confidence of the adopted, and it'll be under first the uh, slavery of fear and then the uh, contentment or confidence of Abba Father. So let's read beginning in verse 14. For you, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thus the reading of God's holy word. As it turns out, Kay and I could not have children of our own. Some of you know that. And we turned to adoption and by God's great kindness, we were able to adopt three children, a boy, a girl, and a boy. And as is always the case with adoption, you have stories of that adoption. Now in explaining to our children why their mothers gave them up, a tender issue, a matter for any child, we uh, tried to show explain how young the girls were that gave birth to them. And for instance, one of our 
babysitter's Laura was like a 14, 15 year old girl. And we said it would be like Laura having a baby. And they knew, well, Laura's being cared for, her, for by her own parents. How could she really care for a child? That seemed to connect with them. That seemed to help them a lot in why this happened. And the short term that we had for them to explain that kind of mother was birth mom. She was a birth mom. So we were there in Columbus, Mississippi, and we brought in a stray cat, which we have done a lot because of our children. And it was a little female kitten, older kitten, but still a kitten. Until two weeks later, she gave birth to two kittens in our closet, our den closet. So my five-year-old daughter, Anna Kate, is calling her grandmother to explain what has happened with this cat. Because you've got to share with your grandparents everything that's going on in your life. And she says, her name's Mama Jean, we call her Mama Jean. Mama Jean, we, this, this kitten came into our house and we thought it was a kitten, but then she gave birth to some kittens. So we think she's a birth mom. <laughs> Great story as there are many. And we all though, this is a wonderful thing for all of us that we all have an adoption story. If you're here and you trust in Jesus Christ, then you're part of the great adoption story that basically runs this world. God's adoption of sinners to be his own children. And they will, as indicated in our passage, share in all the riches that Christ in his humanity shares. Christ in his humanity is God's human perfect son and we will share in all the extent of the riches of his son. Now, Paul puts this very, in a very uh, provocative way, interesting way, when he says that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into, he doesn't say sin, but to fall back into fear. Fear as a governing force in our lives, but that is connected with the darkness of Satan and the darkness of sin. And we can't extract it from sin. Sin, I would say, is a merchant in fear. And so first we're going to talk about the slavery of fear. Sin is a merchant in fear because fear is one of its most useful and effective tools in its operation of sin, in the operation of sin. And in fact is, as in a chemical reaction, you add a catalyst to speed that reaction. Fear is a catalyst in sin's work in this world. Sin's warehouses, you might say, are full of fear and sin keeps its users well supplied in fear. And fear's primary material, its raw material, is the fear of death and the fear of judgment. 
the fear of death and the fear of judgment. For instance, in Hebrews, we read that in chapter 2, that Jesus Christ became a human being to destroy him who had the power of death so that we might be set free from the fear of death, the slavery of the fear of death. Now that, it seems odd that he would say that Satan has the power of death. Of course, ultimately God decides who lives and who dies. But it shows that death is a part of the whole world of darkness, Satan, judgment, execution, and death. It's all one world. And fear is a part of that world that operates in our lives. The sad thing about this fear of death this fear of death that Jesus came to set us free from is that it is not irrational. It is, of course, real. It's, it's like a freight train that is going to smash into every single person in the world. And if you we're looking at someone dreading his own execution, you'd realize that's not imaginary. You are facing execution. And we've got to realize that death came into the world as an execution against us who had turned our backs against God and refused to give, an our, to give ourselves to God. And as a result of turning from him, we have committed the most terrible crimes against the God who made us. And apart from Christ, every human being in the world faces this execution. And that can help us understand how this is so associated with the evil one. Because when we left the light and safety of fellowship with God, we entered the world of darkness and sin and execution and fear. And of course, death and disease and accidents and old age. Here we go. Uh, these are just small signs of the great judgment that follows death. These are just the signs of that terrible eternal execution. So it is not imaginary. It's not like the cartoon I saw with the peanut lying on the psychiatrist's couch, right? And he thinks he's crazy. For whatever reason, he's there and he just thinks he's crazy. And the psychologist is saying, you're not a nut, you're a legume, right? <laughs> No, if we were lying on the couch with the right thinking psychologist and we started talking about the fear of death, he would have to say, well, you are under the execution of death and it's surely going to happen to you. I'm just, I'm just saying. He can't convince us that it's not going to happen because it is. And that's why this kind of thing that I came upon when I became a docent at the Kimball Museum. And we have a section, the Asian and South American 
Mexican section that mainly deals in idolatry. So when I would uh, be showing these things to a Christian school, I didn't do it with public schools, but Christian school, I would say, and now we're entering our idol section, right? Well, this one idol called Earth Spirit, 1500 years old uh, from China, he's like a monster, okay? He's got huge claws, fangs. He's not that big, maybe this, this tall. He's got three horns to indicate his power. He's got fire coming off the top of his head and he is actively crushing another monster just to show you how bad, what a bad dude he is. And he has in his left hand, a deadly snake because why not, you know, carry it around, put it in your pocket. That's who you are. You're a bad dude. Well, they would use this to they would use this for burial to put in their coffin to protect them after they died. And you put two in there because you'd love to have a double bodyguard, got to cover the front and the back because you don't know what's going to come at you in death. And we, we laugh at that. We say, oh gosh, what a, but their fear is real. Death is terrible. And what comes after death? is probably worse than they can imagine. That's the problem with this execution, which we brought upon ourselves. The other great fear I've already mentioned is bound up with death. And that is the fear of judgment. In first John four, John talks about the natural fear of judgment that mankind has and how God has set us free from that fear of judgment through his love and through the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Death and judgment go together in scripture. And we're only freed from that death and judgment as we will see from by the love of God for us. That's what frees us. But people don't realize it and they rarely admit it, but the, the fear of death and judgment grips every heart of every human being. And these fears are what churn out all the other fears that we suffer in our life. Fears that can uh, cripple us, that can infect us and dull every experience in every relationship. Fear is a great merchant of sin. All lines of fear branch out from the fear of death and judgment. Behind the lies that we use to protect ourselves is fear. Fear is behind our excuses and our refusal to admit when we've been wrong. Fear teams up. Really, fear produces pride and pride and fear become this team that causes us to refuse correction and criticism. Though it comes across as just pure meanness. Fear prevents us from enjoying the gifts and accomplishments of others. Instead, we're threatened by them and we are envious of them. We're jealous of them. Fear causes us to use people 
and resent people. Fear generates anger, control, and manipulation in relationships. In fear, we desperately exalt ourselves and hold others in contempt. It's out of fear that we look for the worst in people. Fear generates prejudice. That's why sin is a merchant in fear. And that's why here Paul is contrasting our life in Christ with slavery to fear. Slavery to fear is slavery to Satan, is is slavery to judgment, is slavery to sin. But, he says, but we have not received that fear, that spirit of fear from God we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So the polar opposite of fear is to be able to say from the heart, believing it and rejoicing in it, Abba, Father. The only ultimate cure for fear is Abba, Father. The only healing from fear is Abba, Father, the only redemption from fear is Abba, Father. The only continual protection from fear is to be able to say and know and believe, Abba, Father. We know that Jesus used this term, Abba, and he can assume that all believers everywhere use this term of familiarity and intimacy when they pray to God. Amazingly, God, uh, Jesus Christ, gives us the relationship in his humanity that he has with God the Father. He shares it completely with us. And talk about a change. As Paul mentions in Colossians 1, we've been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Out of judgment and sin and fear into the comfort of Abba Father, the kingdom of his beloved son. And I want you to picture Jesus standing before the father, beloved of the father because he so perfectly fulfilled the father's will. He so perfectly showed forth the love of God in this world. And the father said on the earth, of course, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. So you imagine him standing in glory. You're standing back. Okay, and Jesus tells you, come here, I I want you to come up here. I want you to stand right here where I am. And you start, but then you hold back because you're so ashamed of all that you've thought and said and done against God and against other people. And you also hold back because of the shame you have from all that's been done to you. And Jesus won't have it, right? No, 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 no. You you don't stand back. You come here. I want you to stand right with me, right by me. And as you stand with Jesus, you realize, though you still have so much wrong in your life, you're still trying to change and grow, but there's still so much stuff in your life, so much resistance to God, so many things you need to work on to love other people. Suddenly you are standing there and you are hidden in his glory before the father. 
You're hidden in his beauty before the Father. And you are loved as he loves his own son. So you are loved because you are in his beauty that now clothes you, it swaddles you. And God sees you in that. And that's where Jesus wants you to be, to be standing, enjoying his acceptance and favor with the Father. And then the Holy Spirit is, is indicated here. It's by the Holy Spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father. God wants us to be able to say that, to know it, believe it, be comforted by it, rejoice in it, be strengthened in it. This, this sense of intimacy and belonging to God, nothing in between us. And so he, in the sister passage in Galatians, it says, God sent, sends his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, to show how involved the spirit is in convincing us you are his son. That's a major work of the Holy Spirit that constantly convince you of the wonder and amazement that you are a child of God, intimate with God. He loves the sound of Abba Father. One of our favorite things that our fourth grandchild, uh, a daughter, Hudson is her name. She met this guy named Charles in Columbus, a former town where we've lived and we visit friends there periodically. And she met this little boy named Charles. And so we were driving off and just out of the blue, she says, I love when he, I loved it when he said, Hudson, <laughs> you know, that Southern Hudson. She just, you know, that, that was just ringing in her ears. And I want you to know, God loves to hear you say, Abba, Father. He loves you to be intimate with him and to depend on him and to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ that he has so taken away all your sins, so borne away those sins on the cross and so embraced you that you are loved as his own son is loved. In the movie Hitch, which I imagine many of you have seen, Hitch, played by Will Smith, is advising Albert, his client, uh, about a big date that's coming up. And he talks about dancing. He says, I'd rather you never dance, but sometimes you can't avoid it. So let's go over this. And uh, Kevin James, who's Albert, says, you don't have to worry about that. I got this. Of course, Will Smith said, I got to be thorough. Let me see what you mean by I got this. So... Kevin James starts showing him what he can do. And, you know, he has this big start and he's just all these move. And, and then he gets to this part where he says, I'm building the fire, starting the fire, starting the fire. And then we're making the pizza, making the pizza, making the pizza. And then he swirls around and he says, and, and he goes, toothpick. No, not toothpick. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll use toothpick. <laughs> It's, it's the thing you put in your ear and I suddenly forgot it. But anyway, uh, Q-tip, yeah, Q-tip. And then he goes and says, Q-tip, Q-tip. And then he throws it away, right? This whole big thing that he does in front of, of, of uh, Will Smith. And suddenly Will says, don't ever 
ever do that again. I mean it. Don't you hear me? Don't ever do that. He says, I'm just trying to express myself. No, no, no. Not like that. Not like that. He says, this is what you do. He says, just keep it right here. Keep it right here. He didn't want him ruining the day because he's being crazy on the dance floor. Just keep it right here. This is where you live. This is home. This is, you just stay here. And I'm using that as an analogy to say, Abba Father is where you live. That's where you stay. You wake up with Abba Father. You go to bed with Abba Father. You go through all of your days and your experiences and your relationships, always bearing in mind and believing and applying it to your life. I belong to God through Jesus Christ. I'm his child. That's our new life in Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the great work that you have done to set us free from sin, to set us free from death and judgment, and so to set us free from fear, which governs our lives and, and that fear that produces so much evil in us. Oh Lord, we pray, continue to set us free, continue to convince us of the greatness of the work of Jesus Christ, how complete it is and perfect it is, and how we ourselves receive the very love of Christ that he experiences and knows from the Father. We trust you to do this in us, Lord, for your glory and honor, we pray, amen.